right, well, if you have a Bible with you, open up to Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 18, and if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. You can look on the screens. Uh, We're going to be jumping around a little bit today, uh, so you'll probably want to follow along on the screens anyway, but Leviticus 18 uh, is where we're going to be today. Uh, We are continuing our series called Dwell, and so we are looking at the amazing truth that God himself came to dwell amongst his people, the nation of Israel, as they were wandering in the wilderness after he delivered them and freed them from slavery in Egypt so many years ago. And so we are excited to continue today looking at how God is instructing his people and teaching them how to be his people as he dwells among them. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us understand his word today. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for allowing us to be here to worship, to gather with each other, Lord, in community, Lord, to be prepared to go and be a witness in this world. And so as we think about these things, I pray that you would help us to understand your word, understand your truth. Lord, we want to be people of the truth, your truth. And so show us these things, give us wisdom that only you can give us and speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So like I said, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit today throughout chapters 18, 19, and 20, Uh, but I think that you'll see very clearly today that those three chapters really have one major important theme, and you can really see the main point of these three chapters, which really form a unit here uh, in Leviticus in the middle here, Uh, You can see it in Leviticus 19, verses 1 and 2. So let's actually start there. So Leviticus 19, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, That phrase, you shall be holy because I am holy, the Lord says, this is really the main point of the whole book of Leviticus. God's people should be holy as he is holy. So here's what that means, or here's how we have to understand that. You see, God created all humans the same in one sense, We are the same in that we are all created in God's image. All humanity, everybody, seriously, like every single person who has ever lived on this planet is living now or will one day live are human beings created by our creator God who chose to create us in his image for his glory. In other words, we all have the capacity to reflect some of the characteristics of God himself. And so we're all, we're all the same in this way. We're also all the same in that we all live for our own glory. (laughs) So we're the same in that we were created for God's glory, all of us, but we are also the same in that we have chosen to not do that. We want to live for ourselves, not ultimately for the glory of God. But God's people, and specifically, of course, as we're looking in context in Leviticus, God's people are different. They're different because not of any good 
that they have done. Israel wasn't different because they made themselves holy or they thought, you know, we're just going to be good people. No, they are different because God chose them to be different. God delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. And the parallel to that in the New Testament is God delivering us from our slavery to sin. Then that sin, our living selfishly for our own glory, that is what keeps us from fulfilling that purpose that innate purpose that all humans have to glorify God. So when you look at Leviticus 20, verse 26, you see another important part of this theme. The Lord says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. This is interesting language. God himself is saying, I have separated you, my people, from the rest of the world. So that means that they are to be holy, and really that word means to be set apart, to be distinct, all right? So God's people, he's saying, you, Israel, you should be set apart. I am setting you apart. I am distinguishing you from the rest of the world to be my people, all right, but why? Why is God even doing this? Well, the reason he's doing this is to bring glory to himself and to point people to his mission, his rescue mission in this world, for the whole world. Israel is supposed to show the rest of the world what God is like. Every single person at the time was living against God, not according to his design, the way he created the world to function. But so God says, I'm going to get some people together and show them there is a better way. There is a true way. Israel is supposed to show the rest of the world what God is like, what he values, what he loves. So that the rest of the world will see the goodness of God in them and through them. So that the rest of the world will see and want to follow him too. It's not that God intended this to only be for Israel. No, it was for everybody. But someone had to follow him and show the other people what it was like. So this is all about representation. This is all about representing God. So in the Old Testament, as we're looking through this series, this representation was specifically Israel who God chose to carry this out, right? Pointing to humanity's need for a savior, ultimately. And now, after Jesus has come to earth in the New Testament era, us, right, the church age, we now know after Jesus that the savior has come. The savior has come to earth. God came to dwell amongst us as one of us, Jesus Christ. Now it's the church's mission to point humanity to the same Savior. So really, we have the same purpose as Israel, but the context and the details are very different. In the Old Testament, Israel said to the world, this is the salvation we need. We need a Messiah. We need a Savior. The church now, after Christ has come, we look back and we say to the world, this is the salvation we have. The Savior has come. Jesus came and fulfilled the Old Testament law by living the life that we can't live. He lived a perfect life according to God's design and God's commands. He died the death that we should die for not living according to God's design, the death penalty we all rightly deserve 
the treason we've committed against our King and Creator, Jesus died that death in our place. And he rose from the grave to defeat the power of sin and death forever. So here's the thing then. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are now able to represent God properly. Not perfectly, but properly. You see, Jesus did not save you. He did not save me. He did not die for us so that we could sit on the sidelines. So that we could just watch from a safe distance and completely separate ourselves from the world. Salvation, it's not a sideline issue. It is not the finish line either. Salvation is not the beginning of your spiritual neat and comfort, comfort retirement, right? We are saved. We are separated. We are set apart to work in the kingdom of God, to represent Jesus Christ on this earth now. So whether you realize it or not, this is our mission, right? This isn't like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, right? Where, you know, he gets the message, this is your mission should you choose to accept, right? No, this is your mission. By becoming a Christian, you have already chosen to accept the mission, right? And now in Christ, we are his people. We are his representatives in this church age, just like Israel was in the Old Testament. Don't believe that? Look at this. Peter, the apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter 2. He's speaking to us. (laughs) He's speaking to the church. And look what he says. But you, you church, you followers of Jesus. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's us. That's Christians. Second Corinthians chapter five, Paul said it this way. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, right? Sometimes you see on the news, you know, the United Nations and they're all sitting in that big circle. And and who are those people? They're ambassadors. They are representing the nation they came from, right? That's us. That is us every single day, everywhere we go. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God first and foremost above any other allegiance in our lives. So what I want us to see today is that by looking at some of these specific instructions in Leviticus 18, 19, and 20, what are the principles that we can take away from these chapters embedded in the Old Testament written thousands of years ago? How is that practical to us today? Far more probably than you would think. How can this help us today faithfully represent Jesus in our modern day context? And that's really the main question today that we want to answer. How can we faithfully represent Jesus in our society today? All right, so number one, the first thing we have to do is align our lives according to God's design. As Christians, we must be in tune. We must be in sync with how our creator God designed humanity to work, designed this world to work in every area of our lives. I love how the ESV study Bible comments on this. It says holiness, you know, God tells us to be holy. Holiness means more than mere separation. 
or being different from the world, but it always signifies that something is set apart in its proper sphere. In other words, every area of your life, your work, your family, your relationships with friends, every single area of your life should be transformed by God, right? So you see, here's what we have to realize. God created the world and everything in it to work a certain way. So God created the world and he looked at it and said, it is good. That was before sin entered the world and sin corrupts everything. It really, really does. But God is a great designer. Nothing God designed is malfunctioning because of his design, right? Things that are malfunctioning in your relationships and your life right now, wherever you go, whatever you do, if something seems to be malfunctioning, that is not a God problem. That is a humanity problem. That is a sin problem. When we live outside of the good design God created, at first, it may seem to work. We may think, you know what, this is working. I like this relationship, or I like this you know, manipulative tactic I'm taking at work, right? There's all these pathways and things that we do that go against the way God designed us to work with others and work with him and work for his kingdom. But soon enough, we realize maybe this is not what this was intended for. Maybe I'm not living according to God's design because this is not working, right? So I know this is a silly illustration, but think of Q-tips, right? Do you know on the, on the box of Q-tips, I looked this week to check to make sure, there is a warning. Do not put this. Do not put this Q-tip into your ear canal. Now, we all do it, right? I mean, don't act like you don't do that, right? We, I didn't know that Q-tips were used for anything else. I thought that was what they were for, right? Just sticking it into your ear, right? As much as you can. And at first, you pull it out and you're like, I know this is gross, right? But you're like, oh, okay, gross. My ears are nasty, right? And then later on, years from now, you realize, I can't hear. What have you been doing? You've been packing your earwax down into your ear deeper and deeper, right? So you can clog your ears. I did this and I had to go to the doctor. It's a really embarrassing story, but I'm gonna skip over the details. All right, so... <laughs> That's why I know, trust me. <laughs> but just because we all do it, the old cliche, just because everybody's doing it doesn't make it right. Well, that's true, right? Just because we all do this doesn't mean that we're all going to be okay. Just because we decide everybody and society and everyone around us is saying, you know what, I don't really care what God has said about this or what God has said about that or what the Bible says. I'm just going to kind of do this, right? Everybody around us may seem to be doing that that doesn't mean that we're all going to be all right. There are consequences. I love what the Lord tells Israel in Leviticus 18, verses 1 through 5. Look at this. In Leviticus 18, 1 through 5, we see just really, really interesting instruction from the Lord to his people. Verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules If a person does them, he shall live 
by them. I am the Lord. Now, think about the context here. The Israelites, you know, this, this generation of, of Israelites who's, who's here at the base of Mount Sinai in the camp that the Lord is speaking to, all of them grew up in Egypt. Every single one of them was born in Egypt and grew up in Egypt, except, of course, for maybe some newborns that were born the last few months, right, after they'd been delivered. But this generation of Israelites, they grew up in ancient Egypt. And so all they've ever known is a godless culture, at least a culture full of false gods and idolatry, where by and large the values of that society were in opposition to God's good design for the way he created things to work. That's all they've ever seen. That's all they've ever known. And now, look at this. God says, so you can't be like where you came from and you cannot be like where you're going. They're heading to another geographical location, another nation called Canaan, where there will be different false gods, but the same root problem. It is going to be a society where people do not worship or honor God. It's going to be a society where people do not love the things God loves and where they do not live by his truth or according to his design. So these instructions in chapters 18 through 20 are God graciously teaching them how. How to be his people, not how to be like the ancient Egyptians, not how to be like the Canaanites. He says, no, you cannot follow their rules. That is going to lead you to all kinds of destruction and corruption. You have to follow my statutes, my principles, my rules, my design. So if you read through these chapters, 18, 19, 20, you'll find they are filled with some things in our modern mind. We're like, what is this? But they're filled with practical laws and rules for Israel concerning real life issues that they were going to face. Issues where they may be tempted to compromise into the surrounding culture's belief as they go into the land of Canaan. Issues such as sexual immorality, mistreatment of the poor, Legal injustice, hate, neglecting immigrants, even, believe this or not, child sacrifice. There were actually people in this day who would sacrifice children to a false god named Molech. And so God tells them specifically to not do that. And to, if you do that, your penalty is the death penalty. You see, the Israelites have an opportunity here. They can follow the ways of the one true God and they can show the rest of the world his love and goodness that leads to full, true life. The Israelites have opportunities every day to reflect, to represent God by living according to his design. They have an opportunity to represent God through their obedience to his good law and good commands that protects them, that guides them, that keeps them. And though the context and the details, of course, are very different in our world today in many ways, we are too called to live according to God's design today as Christians in the year 2023 in Jacksonville, Florida. The Apostle Peter put it this way. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, he says, as obedient 
children. That's us. As children of God, followers of Jesus, let's be obedient to his good and loving design. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, the way that you used to live, your past. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Look what he's doing. Peter is quoting the Old Testament, right? Over a thousand years later, he's writing this and saying, it's still true. People of God, today, we must be holy as he is holy. So if we're going to align our lives according to God's design, there's a couple of things we must do, all right? So a couple of sub points here. The first one is this. We have to know what God says is good and true. Like, do we actually know what God says is good for us and what is actually true, what is actual reality? You see, the people, the Israelites, must be careful. God tells them, don't live like the place you came from or the place you're going. So there is a past sense of this and a future sense. The people of Israel must be careful to not live out the preconditioned mindsets of their upbringing. Some of the values that they were entrenched in in Egypt are not the values that needs to stick with them. But they also, also must be careful not to just trade one idol for another. They're going to another place full of idolatry. So our Christian living today, we can take a lesson from this. We cannot be bound or limited to the social norms or the values of our past. So whatever context you grew up in and with this many people in one room, we're all different. We all grew up in different ways, different houses, different homes, different values, different belief systems. But whatever those were, I'm not saying to throw everything out, not the baby with the bathwater here, but we have to understand there may have been some things that we were taught as children that are not right. There may be some values that in our certain context we thought were good that actually don't align with God's word. So we have to be careful that we're not bound to something we learned in the past and just assume that's the way God made it. But we also, we also cannot compromise or water down our values that the Lord gives us in his word to appease a sinful society or values around us that do not align with God's word. So in other words, there's stuff in our past. We have to be careful about our future. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, no, we're all together something different. The point is, stop looking to the world to define your values. We must look first to his rules. The Lord is clear in chapter 18, verse 4. It's my rules, my statutes, he says. He says, walk in them. This is the key. This is the key to real life. Don't you want to live in what is actual reality instead of creating your own, you know, weird, fake world, right, in your head? I mean, we do this right? We all do this. We all, we all have this imaginary world where we have our own values and they're normally selfish, right? Whatever we think benefits us. But don't you want to live in the reality that God has created, the good design he's given us? This is the key to real life, fruitful living. To live according to God's design, we must know what the design is, right? We must know, in other words, we must know God's word. We must know the Bible, So we can obey God's commands. Listen, here at Kernan, we have a core value that says we want to know what the Bible says and means. 
We want to know what the Bible says and means. And the reason that's one of our core values here is because we hold the Word of God as authoritative. We believe that the Bible is God's sovereign Word to us that He has preserved over the centuries because He wants us to know Him. He's not a God that doesn't want to be known. He's a God that wants you to know Him. He created you to know Him and love Him, and He has graciously provided written Word for that to happen. What is Right? So, so, so what is God's design for different areas of our lives? Look into the scriptures. What is God's design for marriage? What did he actually create marriage to be? What is God's design for work, for the work we're supposed to do as human beings on this planet? What, how, how did God, how did God create the world to work in all these different ways? You know, listen, it, I know how it is. Your, your car comes with a car manual, that we keep in the glove compartment, right? And we never look at it unless what? Unless the check engine light comes on, right? And we see, oh, that, that light's funny. I don't recognize that light. And then we get out the car manual and we start looking like, I don't know, what, what is this? What picture is that? Is that that picture, right? You know, you're just looking through it. You're trying to read it, right? And listen, you, can, you might wait. It might be too late by the time you get to the car manual. Or you could just not even look in the car manual. You could just ignore the light, right? You can just kind of wish it away and just hope that nothing goes wrong with your car. But guess what? You're going to learn. You're going to learn over time if you don't fix your car that your car was designed to work a certain way. And the car manual, if we had read it, I mean, nobody does this, right? But if you had read it when you bought the car, you probably would have known beforehand. R.C. Sproul, theologian, he says, to be conformed to Jesus, we must first begin to think as Jesus did. We need the mind of Christ. We need to value the things he values and despise the things he despises. We need to have the same priorities he has. But get this. That cannot happen without a mastery of his word. The Bible speaks to our real life issues. It is not some kind of outdated book that is only good to collect dust on your shelf. It is living. It is active. It is the words of God. Don't you think that the Lord God wants to speak into your life right now, today? Don't you think that he wants to help you? He wants to guide you. He wants to fill your heart with wisdom and truth, his truth. We need to get into the word of God. Listen, you need more. You need more than just one sermon a week. I mean, seriously, right? You need, one, you need more than just one mediocre sermon from me a week, okay, guys? That's, you can't, you're not going to make it, all right? Like, you need, you need the word of God every day. You need to get into the scriptures, you need to, and, and we can help you with that. We'd love to help equip people here at Kernan with good resources, right? You can talk to our Next Steps team after the service. We're going to be out in the lobby. We would love to hand you a devotional or a study Bible or help you get one, right? We, we want to equip you, but we need to get into the Word of God so that we know what He says about all these areas of life so that we can live according to His design. All right, the second subpoint here. Arrange your behavior, right, once you know Right? If you are studying and reading the Word of God and, and digesting it, and the Holy Spirit is transforming your thinking to think like Christ, as we just read, right? then arrange your behavior under the, that authority. Align your actual life, your real life, day-to-day scenarios under God's truth. Romans 12, 2, Paul said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that's happening as you read the Word that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. So when you're really taking in the word of God and you're being taught the scriptures and you're learning the scriptures, guess what? That's going to transform the way you actually think about your life. To quote Sproul again, he says, what, what we are ultimately called to is more than nonconformity. We are called to transformation. You know, when we live outside of God's design, we, we wonder, why is my life not going so great? I mean, think about it. When, when, we're, when you're living in some kind of habitual sinful pattern or doing something that you know God did not design this thing to be this way, and then we grow anxious, and we grow more and more insecure, and over time we become manipulative towards others, we seek to only get from relationships instead of give, we grow easily angered with our kids, with our spouse, and we just wonder, what's wrong with me? You know, like, why can't I seem to get it together? What is the deal? And we just shouldn't be surprised. We just shouldn't be surprised that this is how our lives are going and this is how we feel when we are living outside of God's good design that he created for all these different ways and to live, right? His commands for us. His commands for us are there to protect you. They are there to guide you into true freedom, true freedom. Our world today tells us that true freedom is whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. But that is such a lie. It really is because it leads to all kinds of dysfunction. I mean, the reality is, and I, I mean, I'm just going to be frank, sin, our sin makes us stupid. Sin makes us stupid. It really does. It blinds us, it confuses us, it makes us start to call things that are actually unhealthy for us good, things that are bad for us good, things that are good for us bad. It distorts our whole view of life. It corrupts us from the inside out. That is, the what, that is exactly what sin does and it has always done since the beginning. It starts with the lie. The lie that if we go this way or that way, our lives will be happier, that the grass is somehow greener on the other side. But the happiness doesn't last. The joy is never there. It's never really there. And I'm not saying this because it's an easy example. But you know the prime example of this? In Leviticus 18, 19, and 20 is sexual sin. It's the prime example that the Lord tells his people, listen, you're going to a place where all these things are about to happen. You can read it for yourself. Leviticus 18 and especially 18 and 20. Israel, they needed to prepare themselves because they're about to walk into a culture that had all disregard for God's design for marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship for a lifetime between one man and one woman. And that is not a human invention. That is God. God created marriage. Genesis 1 and 2, God created marriage. He created the first man and the first woman and he married them in a ceremony in the garden. And so if you invent something, you get to determine the rules and the statutes and the boundaries and the limitations to it. But those are not restrictive to hurt you or make you unhappy or not give you the happiness and joy that you want. No, those are there for good, to protect you, to guide you, to let you find real freedom and joy. But so many people in that culture and our culture today think that chasing after sex outside of marriage in any context is what's going to deliver happiness. 
And the Bible is extremely clear. It is only going to deliver destruction. It's only going to make you more worrisome and anxious because ultimately it's selfish. Ultimately, you're wanting something to be fed to you that will help you. But love, Jesus shows us that love is self-sacrificing. It is all about the other, not about ourselves. It's not about what we can get. It's what we can give. And so God designed sex to only be in the context of marriage. And so he is telling his people here, he is telling them, you are not going to find joy. You are not going to find happiness in chasing your selfish desires. You are only going to find true, real joy and real life in these ways. Don't walk according to the Canaanites. Walk according to my commands. Real joy, the Lord is telling them, is going to be found in knowing that you're walking with God. Knowing that you're loved by him more than you can ever fathom. Knowing that you are seeking to live according to his design. Do you know how good that makes you feel? When you know that you're living according to God's design, that is joy. That is. It is joy. It is love. It is true. Theologian Alan Ross says, God's order for life is one that keeps boundaries and makes distinctions for the physical, emotional, and spiritual good of people. It maintains harmony and does not introduce confusion. It promotes love instead of lust. It is life-giving and life-enhancing instead of life-taking or causing destructive patterns in our relationships. See, I want to say this to you. If you have failed, if you have failed to live according to God's design in any of these ways that we've already mentioned, I want you to know this. Forgiveness is available for you. Jesus came to earth to die for us. There's not a single person in here. I'll raise my hand first. There's not a single person in here who deserves God's love. We are all short. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned in all kinds of different ways, countless ways. So the point today is not you need to do better. The point is surrender. Surrender to Jesus who has done better, the best, perfect for you. Forgiveness in Christ is available for anyone who's committed any of these sins we talked about. Forgiveness is available for anyone who has turned a blind eye to these situations. The Lord can do a work of spiritual renewal in your life right now today. Because having a relationship with God, it's not about how good or bad your track record is. It's how perfect Jesus' record is that's been given to you when you put your faith in him, not yourself. That's the gospel. So confess, confess your sins to the Lord. Embrace his forgiveness. Move forward in obedience. Walk in community with other Christians who can help you. And remember, as we live according to God's design, the world is watching. Our witness for Christ is at stake. Peter said it in 1 Peter 2. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, people are watching and they may just see the goodness of God in the way that you have aligned your life according to his design. Secondly and lastly, number two, if we're going to faithfully represent Jesus in our world today, we have to serve the interest of others before our own. That's the other major point here in these three chapters. We have to demonstrate what is good and true. When we love others and seek their well-being instead of just our own, we show them God's design for the world, that love and self-sacrifice is at the very heart of who God is. 
Look at what Jesus said himself in Matthew 22. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus just summarized the whole Old Testament. And guess what he was quoting? Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, 18. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus is quoting this because he is God and he knows that love of neighbor is the best way. Love God first, but then that leads us to love others, to show them the glory of God, the goodness of God. Another one of our core values here at Kernan is we serve the needs of others before our own. You see that? We were able to do that yesterday in just a small, simple way, but a very meaningful and impactful way with our mission projects that we did. But we need to do this more than just one Saturday morning. This is a lifestyle. In John chapter 13, look at, what, look at Jesus, his words here. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Look at this, verse 35. By this, all people will know. How will people know that we belong to Christ? He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So perhaps the most transformative observation people should have of us as being different is otherness, right? Living for the other. Otherness instead of selfishness, demonstrated by love. Pride and self-centeredness is really our root problem. So when we do love God first and when we then love others, right, before ourselves, this shows the world that something is different. This is countercultural. This shows the world something has changed inside of us, that a work of God has happened in our hearts, that we're not just living for ourselves and for the next fleeting pleasure that may come across our way. This shows the world that we have something more, something more to offer than just some kind of religious sales pitch to them, right? I mean, that's not, we're not just trying to get people to, to sign up for church or sign up for Religion, or sign up to do a trunk, though you should, right? A trunk or treat, right? But if that's all we got, listen, if that's all we got, we got nothing. If, we, if all we have is just the general, hey, world, you're bad, and you need to do this, that's not the gospel. That might be true in some sense, but if we want the people around us to really taste and see the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we must share his gospel with them verbally and serve them tangibly so that they can see, so that we may show them that he is better. Jesus is better. So we live, we work, we play in the same places with everyone around us. We don't build Christian communes and isolate ourselves from the world. No, we live in the world, but we're not of it. We're in it. We live around Everyone who, like us, were made by God and for God, but we dwell among them differently. It speaks, it matters. To quote Alan Ross again, he says, the expression of love, and I love this. He says, the expression of love for other people means to come to their assistance. So my question for you today is, how are you coming to others' assistance? Are you moving towards the brokenness around you or are you backing away? 
you know, we have a practical opportunity with these homeless care bags to move towards people who are hurting instead of rolling the window up and just ignoring them. We have a practical opportunity all around us every single day with the hurting, the poor, the marginalized in our community to move towards them in love and show them exactly what Jesus showed the poor, the hurting, and the marginalized in his time, in his community, in Palestine in the first century. Jesus moved towards problems to show them grace, to show them compassion because he knew they were like sheep without a shepherd. The commands for Israel in Leviticus 18, 19, and 20 are very important for us to understand. God told them to provide for the poor. He told them, do not steal, do not lie, do not oppress your neighbor in any way. Do no injustice in the court system. Do not hate Welcome and support immigrants, God tells them. Protect the vulnerable children among you. Live according to God's design for sex. Listen, some of us hear things like that and immediately we have alarms going off that has sometime, is somehow tied to some kind of political system or party. Wokeness, not wokeness. Some of us are really worried we're too woke. Some of us don't think we're woke enough. Who cares? This is God's word. Forget that language of the day. This is Jesus. This is God telling us this is what the people of Christ do. They move towards the brokenness. They move towards the hurting. They show that Jesus loves through sacrifice. May we do the same. Live like Jesus. Follow his example. That's all we're trying to do. That's what God is calling us to do. In Matthew chapter 5, we'll end with this. Jesus' own words. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You've already heard them today. You are the salt of the earth. You, follower of Jesus, are the salt. In other words, you bring the flavor. You bring the preservation to the society around you. Jesus, follower. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You, follower of Jesus, living in Jacksonville, Florida, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Are you being salt and light? Have you arranged your life to live according to God's design, His truth, as we find it in the Scriptures, as we find it in His Word? Are you compassionately putting the interest of others, the interest of your neighbors, which is every other human being around you, are you compassionately putting the interest of others before your own? Are we living like Jesus? Are we thinking like Jesus? Are we loving like Jesus? Are we serving like Jesus? Or have we just isolated ourselves off and closed ourselves off to some other way that gives ourselves, sure, great comfort, great pleasure, great temporary happiness, but that's not the way of Christ. 
The way of Christ is difficult, especially in our society today. But may we continue to mature. May we continue to grow in the goodness of God and his love. Think like him. Love like him. May we represent God faithfully in our society today. You know, I know this may spark questions in your mind. Like I've said before, and we say every week, we have a team outside the doors here in the lobby that are ready to talk to you and direct you in the right uh, resources or perhaps conversations that you need to have with a pastor or with the staff or whatever. But we want to be here for you. You know, if we said something today and you heard something today and you're thinking, you know, I don't know about that or I, that confuses me or I want to learn more about that or I need to know more about that or perhaps you just want to know what it means to follow Jesus. We would love to have that conversation with you today. We're, we're not going to scare you. We're not going to manipulate you or condemn you. We just want to have good, healthy dialogue with you. So feel free to reach out to us today. You can also email the church. We'd be happy to set up a time to meet with you as well. Kyle's going to come out and close us with a song. But as he does that, I want us to pray. And I want us to sincerely just ask the Lord, God, help us. Help us to be your people, holy, set apart in this world, not isolated from it, but engaging in it so that we can be a part of the redemptive work you're doing. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us do that and maybe even confess where we have fallen short of that. Lord Jesus, we take this scripture from Leviticus. We see the scriptures in the New Testament, Lord. This is hard for us to hear. This is difficult because nobody, myself included, nobody is inherently good at this. Jesus, only you are good and perfect and true. So we desperately need your help. Lord, we confess that we cannot live like you on our own. We cannot be motivated just by one sermon or one book or one Bible study. Lord, we need your word constantly. We need to commune with you through prayer every day. Lord, we need your grace every day. Lord, help us to be your people. Help us to be faithful representatives in this world. Lord, there's so many different areas where we are tempted to give in to the pressure around us of society that tells us, down is up and up is down, Lord. Right is left and left is right. Lord, we are so confused sometimes and we just sincerely don't know what to do. We don't know what to respond, how to say things. But Lord, would you show us the way? Help us to be faithful representatives by just cultivating friendships with people who don't know you. Not by seeing them as an object, Lord, of evangelism, but just as a friend, as a neighbor. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves so that we can lead them to your truth so that they can experience the love and joy that you bring. Jesus, we need help. We just really need help to do this. But I thank you. I thank you for where you're already doing this in our lives. I thank you for the wonderful turnout we had yesterday, Lord, to just show a simple, visible statement of this, what we believe as a church, Lord, that we want to be your representatives. We want to be salt and light. So Lord, encourage us as well as convict us. Show us where we can improve, where you can help us, where you can change us, and show us where we can continue to build on what you're already doing. We love you. Jesus, you are our Savior. You are what the world needs. You are what we need every single day. Thank you. Thank you for always being there for us, for moving towards us, not away. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray.